0: Hi, everybody. This is uh, Josh Barzell from Modern World Zen, and we're here for another podcast. And uh, in this podcast, we're going to try to look at what this um, sort of philosophy of being is um, and sort of what the philosophy of truth is. We've talked about Eastern philosophy. Generally, we've sort of laid a uh, a, um, groundwork for um, what enlightenment is and what we're looking for. And now this is sort of the ontology of um, Eastern philosophy. So that's sort of the, um, or spiritual philosophy, really. So the, the, the nature of being uh, according to uh, the enlightened seers. So this is going to be, it's philosophy, but it's really, sort of a first-hand account. Uh, This is going to be more of a first-hand account of um, the enlightened being uh, because really you can't sort of describe enlightenment because it has to be experienced and that's probably very easy for someone to understand because I could say I'm enlightened and someone else could say that they're enlightened but how do we know who's enlightened? So there has to be sort of a We have to talk about enlightenment from sort of first-hand experience. Uh, You know, what our sort of philosophy of being is, and sort of describe it in that way. And so I'm going to try to do that a little bit, um, and uh, hopefully we can understand uh, what the um, experience of an enlightened being is and sort of what their philosophy of being or the ontology, the ontology that they um, follow as far as being is concerned. So um, we, we're going to start with meditation. So we're going to start with the meditative aspect uh, of, of experience. And so really, uh, to be listening to this podcast, you kind of have to be sort of in a meditative state. Uh, because that's going to help us try to get in there. Remember, normal philosophy is going to be from the top down. That's not how we're going to do this. We have to sort of get to a philosophy of being from the bottom up, from a state of deep meditation and try to describe being uh, or existence uh, based on that. And hopefully you've listened to the other podcasts before so we can be on the same page and this doesn't have to be so foreign to you. So we talked a little bit about the blue pearl and this is what we perceive uh, in meditation but the, the reason why, we and we talked about that previously, but the real sort of ontology is just this blue pearl and what I mean by that is that that's all they see. So you see a little blue light in meditation, that's all there is uh, for the realized um, person or the truly enlightened man or woman. So there is no universe. There is no uh, world. There is no uh, you and me. There's just this blue light or this blue pearl. So, and the magic of it is, that's the soul. So that's the self, right? We talked about that a little bit before. So everything is myself, everything is this blue light, this blue pearl, which I have realized in meditation, which I've seen in meditation, and because of that, there is no... um, there is no universe in that vision. There's just this blue light. And that's the experience of the enlightened beings that have described this in their own way. And and pretty much all of their descriptions are the same. They all talk about a blue light. Uh, They all talk about um, it being the same as the self. And they also describe it as uh, something that they realized through the grace of their guru. So they all had gurus which you can probably understand that this isn't, you know, phony baloney. If you have to do something you have to have a teacher to do it. So they all had gurus and they pretty much all say the great the great the great have seen the light essentially. So this isn't just someone off on their own. This is someone who has studied with a guru and that has seen the light through that guru's grace and um, and that's God so the blue light is God and so the experience is no world right no universe it's just God so we talk we that's how we sort of ended the last episode Uh, and so we are going to talk a little bit more about that experience and what that means uh, sort of for everything to be God um and that's what true knowledge is. So that's sort of the goal of meditation. Um, and we have to have the Kundalini awakening uh, to be able to do this. So um, and it's the same as the inner self. So you can understand that, you know, if there's only this blue light, there's only God, then there's only the inner self, you know, and if the guru gave us this knowledge, then everything's the guru, everything's the self, everything's consciousness, everything's God. So really what happens is we start to have a sort of a, Uh, these terms sort of become the same. Because if, you know, it's basic logic or, ma- or or sort of a mathematical way of thinking. If you if everything's conscious God or everything's this blue light or everything's the guru that has given you this vision, or everything's God, then guru, God, self, blue light, consciousness all have to be equivalent terms. So so that's another way of sort of saying, you know, that the self, inner self is God, because you just, you have to sort of come to that conclusion uh, that these things, since since they become equivalent in sort of the highest vision, that they really are equivalent and they never were not equivalent. So you could say to yourself that, you know, you never had there was no time where you didn't have God within you. And so this is why God exists in people that would never believe that God exists within them, whether they're crazy or stupid or You know, you use the term ignorance. It means God's in them too because it certainly was within us before we became enlightened. So it's going to be within people when they're not enlightened either. And um, so this is a very beautiful vision. And so that's why this is sort of not sort of, you know, ontological in terms of Western philosophy because we're really talking about the existence or the being uh, from an experiential uh, point of view, right? So we're sort of talking it in terms of what is it to you, uh, you know, and what is it to me? And so we kind of come from that angle. We're not trying to really give a discourse on philosophy, but it is philosophical. There's no doubt about it, but this is, this is a different kind of philosophy than what we're, we study in, in, in college and which is what is taught. It's more of a spiritual philosophy. It's the philosophy of meditation. And I did want to talk a little bit about the the experiential philosophy of being or the ontology or the experiential ontology, which is really what this podcast is about. So uh, we talk about that vision as being the pure vision. Um and through meditation, your vision becomes more and more pure through the Kundalini uh, uh, purifying you, your vision becomes pure. And it is this blue, this blue consciousness. And so, um, and it has to be done through the grace of a guru. So, the guru would be someone who has this awareness constantly and that you're trying to attain. And so, when you attain it, it follows that you've attained it through the grace of your guru. And this is going to be, you know, mostly sort of Indian, ancient Indian uh, stuff. This isn't sort of Buddhism, like I said before. Uh, This is really sort of ancient Hindu uh, philosophy. So then we say, well, what is the world then? I mean, because here we are, You just said the world doesn't exist. Well, then how do we think of the world? Well, that's a good point. So we think of the world as a uh, sort of a growth or a creation of this blue light or of this consciousness. So we say that consciousness creates the world. And so that's how we're able to say that the world doesn't really exist, right? Because it's just consciousness or just self. So we say that the self creates... The universe, and that means that all of the different manifestations that we're seeing are a sort of um, how could you describe it? But they, it is sort of a bubbling, or reaction, or a magic show of consciousness, right? It's sort of this explosion of consciousness. You no, know, the chaos is really just the Um, ebb and flow of consciousness right so um, and it's been described as a play or a sport but you know from my science background I'd probably consider it some sort of bubbling reaction or explosion so that's all the world is right? sometimes it's not so chaotic sometimes it's very peaceful but nevertheless in in that context too it would be some would be this sort of reaction of consciousness or this explosion or this, um, you know, scientific process. So if the world is just a sort of this, if the world is science because it comes from the self, then we can say that, well, it doesn't really exist and only the self exists. And this is this experiential ontology. So... um, what is the nature of essentially what is the nature of God or what is the nature of consciousness and we talked a little bit about that. We called it Satchitananda or being consciousness and bliss. So if the universe is not true then what is true is just being consciousness and bliss. That's actually what the ontology says. So that means that None of these things we perceive as to be real are genuinely real. They all have this Tananda. And so everything that we perceive is actually just a play of the Satchitananda and it doesn't really exist. So um, there's many ways to sort of get to this uh, you know, idea. Uh, and that's through meditation. So when you meditate and you're very, very peaceful, you sort of become this witness, you sort of become this self. And in that case, everything is the self. There is no sort of me or you or perceiver and perceived. So then, you know, um, that's why we like to spend about 20 minutes a day in that, in that place of deep repose and meditation. Uh, when we're seeing this blue light, because then it becomes quite easy to say that, hey, no, this isn't real. Just that blue blue light is real, and that's the truth, the truth, the truth, right? So that's the again, we're we're sort of talking about what the ontology is um, from the experiential aspect, and I, and that really is the only true way to go about it, right? I mean, because you you can tell me what you think. The truth is, and I'm going to tell you what I think the truth is we, we there's not there can't be anyone who can just say like definitively, this is what the truth is it's always going to be sort of experiential it's always going to be sort of a discussion so I don't really understand the philosophers that will talk about ontology in in concrete terms sure they' someone's arguing with with them, but you, you can't really argue with them if you're not a philosopher so they can have a philosophical theory on truth. And if you're not a philosopher, well, how are you going to argue with them? And then they can change it. So I don't really understand that too much. I understand a lot of philosophy, but I don't understand the philosophy of truth. Because it's always going to be what you or I decide of what it is. And the, what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to explain what that viewpoint was from uh, a person that has attained enlightenment. So we could say, well, anyone who's talking on the truth, they must be enlightened in Western philosophy. I'm not sure that's the case, because what we can understand is the, the process of enlightenment is so long. If you look at the Buddha, if you look at Mohammed or Jesus, I mean, you'd have to say these people were like Jesus. And I don't think they would accept that, and I don't think anyone else would either. So you should be, we should be very careful when we're doing that. It's not a big deal. I just feel like you know this works for me because it's the experiential aspect of ontology. So that means that you know through meditation, we just get to this blue light. There isn't anything but you. It's all you there. Everything is you. So where is where's the universe gone? Where is your world gone? Where right, it's dissolved? So you could say, well, that's just nonsense. That's nothing, right? That's no description. These is what these Western philosophers would say. They're geniuses, right? They would say, well, that's rubbish. There's nothing. You're not saying anything. Please explain it. And they would say, that's the explanation. That's the explanation. That it's just the self. And so, um, you know, so, so it does have an existence uh, for philosophers to go back and forth on what truth is. And generally, when they argue that something does come up about it, but they're not. I don't think they are Jesus. I don't think they've attained, you know, those states. Uh, so, you know, and I don't think they'd accept that they did either. But um, you know, the what tr- they don't really have an experiential definition of truth. So we have to go to the meditators, the yogis, to try to find out uh, what the experiential. Um, ontology is. So we have this uh, everything is the self and you're perfect. You're perfect in that state. And so you can see where this wouldn't make such good for a philosophical discourse because there's no sort of there's nowhere to go. There's no argument, right? So if I say you know, everything's me and I'm perfect, well, uh, there is nowhere to go um, from that. But yet we're still. This is what this podcast is all about. So we're going to be doing that, um, and the and so we have our identities are still there, but we recognize that our true identity is just this pure eye, or you could call it a blue eye, or you could call it the eye consciousness, right? Or the eye god, or the divine eye, or the divine self, and that is actually our identity. So when we say, I, we really should be thinking about that divine self uh, because that's our experience in meditation. So we, we think of ourselves as divine because that's our experience of our self. Um, and, so, and this divine self creates the world. So the world of everything is just a play of this, this divine self. And you say, well, okay, help me out a little bit. And we, so what we say is we break it down into duality from unity and we say, well, there's a perceiver and a perceived. So there's going to be the perceiver of an object and there's going to be the perceived. And you can do this with people, but you can also do it with inanimate objects, right? So you have the perceiver who sees something, uh, say a ball, and then you have the ball. Right, which is the perceived. So we say that the, you know, the, the magnificence of the self becomes both the ball uh, and the perceiver. So it, differentiates, so it sort of breaks up into duality with perceiver and perceived, but nevertheless, it's still the same. It has that same unity. And you can think of it as just the ocean sort of breaking up into a wave or waves. It doesn't lose its fundamental identity. And we talked a little bit about that last episode. So we call that the play. We call that the play. We call that the reaction. Or I would call that the, the we could call that the sport. But we could also call that the reaction or the explosion of consciousness. So then, what's the body? Right? So what's our body would have to be that same explosion. It couldn't be real Uh, Because if we don't think a ball on a table is real, our bodies, our flesh bodies, would also have to be that explosion or that play of consciousness. And so when we do see that, uh, then really what we're doing is we've come close to enlightenment because, frankly, we've dissolved our ego. We don't have body consciousness anymore. Right? We're not proud of our body. We've broken down I am this, I am that. We, we've broken down our ego, our sense of separation, once we see the body as, as God or the body as consciousness. So we're getting closer, right? Um, and what we're going to do next is we're going to try to see that all of the divisions... Uh, that we're making are going to be the waves of consciousness. So that means everything that we can do to manipulate consciousness to make it hard and edged and fast and all of these things that would sort of um, make it into what it is not uh, we recognize as just this chaotic mess of waves of the ocean, and the ocean remains intact. So we do, we do a little bit of work in our thoughts and let all of those permutations become consciousness. And in this way, the, the means is sort of the end, right? This is sort of a meditative practice that I'm giving, and it's also sort of the highest truth of what it is, you know? So to think about consciousness is also to sort of be enlightened. So it's sort of the means and the end are sort of the same. And um, we should, our practice and our attainment is sort of one and the same. So as we practice, so we attain. And um, so what we're going to finish up with is we're just going to finish up with what is the truth? What is ontology from the experiential aspect? Well, it's just the self. And how does that describe the world? Well, it describes the world perfectly in terms of the world being a play of, this, of that same self. So, you know, obviously that's very difficult to describe in traditional philosophy. So, and people can try to do it, but I'm not sure they'll ever be successful doing it because they're coming from a, they're coming from a wrong angle. It has to come up from the bottom or the experiential aspect, and people say, well, that's not professional or that's not literary, or that's junk and has no merit, it's not philosophy, and that's fine, but from my understanding, that's what I want to hear, and maybe it's what you want to hear as well. So we're going to keep on moving forward here, and um, so there's some interesting uh, things that result from this ontology as far as our own experiential aspect, and as long as you're a human being, you can do this, right? Anyone can do this that's listening. It can understand my voice can do this kind of meditation and um, can actually experience these things for themselves because the human body therefore would be the um, the perfect lab or the instrument of discovering the truth because you wouldn't need a, a PhD in philosophy to to understand this it's re- it's it's described in very simple terms so if we say well what is truth and we say the self and then you say well what is the world in that context and I say well that's what it is it's The self, the world is the self. And all of its permutations and imaginations, it's nothing but the inner self. And that is the truth, right? So once we sort of think of that, then we say, oh my lord, what are we looking at here, right? This is all me. I am all this. So, you know, you have to have a really big heart to be able to do that. You have to become very, very pure uh, to do that. And so, again, the practice is also the attainment. So if we say, well, I am all this, I am all this, that's wonderful. Uh, And it's also sort of our attainment as well. So there's a story of saying, you know, um, I am all this, I am all this. And then some guy, you know, comes up to you and says, well, you know, I am you, and you are me, and you're saying, "Well, what are you talking about? Leave me alone! Stop! I'm doing my meditation about I am all this, I am all this," and and the guy comes up to you and says, "No, you're me, and I'm you, and, and we're together." I say, "Hey, man, leave me alone!" And he's like, "Well, what's wrong?" He's like, "Well, you're you're annoying me." He's like, "Well, whoever told you you weren't all of this stuff? Why are you, you know, saying it so loudly? You know, no one ever told you." Uh, that you weren't, right? No one ever told us that we weren't all of this, you know? We, we've always been all of this. No one's ever come up to us and really made us learn that we weren't. If anything, we've only been taught that we are. So um, it's sort of the, the means in the end, but we really don't have to belabor it too much, you know? We don't have to run down the street saying, I'm all this, I'm all this. Because people would probably wonder what's wrong with us. Uh, so we, we really just can just understand that we are without having to sort of say it uh, uh, either, basically. So um, So that man you know, who's saying, "I am you and you are me," well, you know, I don't think he needs to say that either, because I think that's all obviously clear, too. But in the same way, we shouldn't be saying it uh, as well. Uh, That we're everything, we should just know it. So, um, and some beautiful things sort of develop from that awareness. Um, And the idea is that, you know, since this is Hindu, we talk about Shiva, so that would be Shiva is everywhere, but it doesn't have to be Shiva for you, it can be God for you, it can be whatever you want it to be for you. Because all of these terms, guru, God, consciousness, all become sort of equivalent. So you can choose whatever one you want. Uh, and that can be whatever your God happens to be, that's what you're going to be seeing everywhere. And so it becomes very beautiful. I mean, most of the time we live with this idea that God's far away, then we're trying to reach God. And in times of stress, we wish we felt close to God because we feel very nervous and scared, but with this viewpoint, you can imagine the sense of security. And, and these beings who are you know, describing the world in this way, you know, they have no fear. They're not scared. They're not upset. So we talked about sort of the state of enlightened being. It's something to attain to because you can imagine if every time they're around God and they're with God all the time, then, you know, by golly, they're gonna be pretty secure. They're not going to be afraid. In fact, they probably would have no fear ever. Uh, So the result is a very beautiful result. So then we still have this part of the world that we can't just throw out. And so we say, well, it's mine. It's me. Uh, It's me regardless of how I view it. So this is the sort of instruction. So we, we say it's me, or it's mine, or I am that, uh, and we do it regardless of how we might want to reject that notion. We sort of reject the tendency to not want to go there, and in that way we can go there effortlessly and really sort of hunker down and destroy that sense of separ- separation. And it's really just the ego. It's sort of the ego playing a little trick on you, saying, I'm still here ha ha ha, you see yourself as different from the world, I'm the ego and I'm tricking you, I'm not your friend. And look at me. And so we sort of do our last little bit of uh, dissolution of that ego or of that world. And so, and that's a very beautiful sort of concept because then the universe becomes our own. So that if, if the universe is our own, we're not afraid there's nothing that we would be afraid of uh, in that highest vision, and that's what I was talking about a little previously. Is that you know beings like this don't aren't afraid; they don't become afraid because everything is everyone's their friend, and everything is that self. And that's what I was saying, uh, I think, two episodes ago, which is this idea of what Kabir said: make friends with everyone, uh, and. And that's sort of the same idea because if consciousness really does create the world and it's the same as the inner self, then we are really seeing our own self. Truly, really, despite all of our protestations about it, all of our, no, 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 this can't be true, it is true. And that can be a great sort of meditation. again. The practice, the means, and the end sort of become one, uh, and we realize our inner self in that way. And, um, and that's the process of meditation, and that's the duty. And the beings that have done this uh, call it the, the, the true means, the true path. So if you're looking for guidance in life, hopefully I've given it to you because that's the true way, that's the true path. Um, this is the true path, you know, um, this is the path that leads to attainment, right? So this is the path that leads to meditation and leads to sort of finding your God, uh, um, and becoming one with your God and knowing God. And if you don't know God before, then it's something that makes you know God for the first time. So thank you very much for listening. Hope it's been very enlightening for you. And uh, again, this has been Josh Barzell for Modern World Zen. Thank you.